0: If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy, and after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges, facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Today, we're finishing our series on suicide risk prevention, and in some ways we're wrapping up in the place I intended for us to start. When I mapped out my plans for topics for the podcast, I knew I wanted to address this topic because the need for it is so incredibly high. But as I started working on pulling together the topic of suicide prevention, it grew into this series. There was so much more that needed to be covered and I imagined that we might need some easing in to what we're talking about today. So the earlier parts of this series have hopefully prepared us for this. Today, we're talking about what it is like To be the person in the deep, dark hole. We're going to talk about the slippery slope that tends to send us into the hole, how to recognize the hole we're in, ways to work at intervening to try to find a ladder back out, and resources and supports that can help us to do that. Before we dive in, I also want to say that I am not so deluded to believe that we can cover this topic comprehensively in one episode. But I hope that this is a starting place. I also want to put it out there that if you have feedback you would like to give or suggestions for us to carry on this conversation meaningfully in future episodes, please reach out. I would love to hear from you. You can always find me on social media or by emailing me at support at lifeca All right, let's start with what leads us into the dark hole. To some extent, we've already identified facets of the slippery slope in the episodes leading up to today. And if you haven't listened to the other episodes in this series, please go back and listen to those first. They really set the stage for what we're talking about today. I've mentioned that suicide does not happen in a vacuum. By and large, it doesn't come out of thin air. It is most typically the last resort option that someone can perceive in an effort to cope with too much for too long. For some, it's a means of escaping the heaviness of the world. For others, it's a sense of controlling what I can in a world where I feel as if I have control of so very little. It often feels tied to a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. And sometimes a belief that the world would be better off without me. Getting to that place doesn't just happen. Like one day I'm totally fine and the next day life isn't worth living. Most often, it's a gradual wearing down of my sense of capacity, control, and hope for a future that feels meaningful. I know many of us are familiar with the analogy of putting a frog in boiling water. If you aren't, let me lay it out. If you put a frog in boiling water, it will hop out a bit scalded, but alive. But if you place a frog in warm water and gradually bring up the temperature, it doesn't register the subtle changes and will eventually boil to death. Now I was recently told that this theory was disproven. Frogs are apparently not as ill attuned to temperature as we thought, but the analogy is still a helpful tool to guide the conversation. When we face additive stressors, we don't tend to notice the impact these are having on our mental health and wellness as dramatically as we would if one terribly catastrophic thing were to happen. The gradual and cumulative effect adds a little bit and a little bit and a little bit until we feel so overcome that we can't continue. For many on the front lines, the problem's a bit convoluted. On the one side, you are a normal person. You have normal people problems. Problems that can, in their own right, be pretty darn stressful. Children who are sick or have special needs, elderly parents you're supporting, financial strain, and the zillions of day-to-day life stressors, big and small, that we're having to navigate. Then you have the problems you face as a result of the work you do. Your Tuesday is being present for someone's worst day on repeat. You're exposed to suffering, desperation, pain, and so much more within conditions that can feel toxic and or dysfunctional. All the while you're seen to be this kind of noble person with a noble profession. And that can make us feel somewhat restricted from being permitted to fall apart or be human in some of the spheres that we're in. We're busy trying to coordinate and negotiate the intersection of our normal people lives with our professional lives. Oh, and our professional lives color everything. What we see, hear, know, and are exposed to in the work taints how we feel and engage outside of the work. We get more guarded, vigilant, hyper aware. We're tuned in to risk and threat, and work to be ready to jump into action no matter what venue we're in. And to manage all of that, there's numbness. The thing that gives a break from feeling the intensity of it all piling up. But not really. Not really because it's still all right there, and I have to do it all again tomorrow. The pace and complexity of navigating these multiple facets of who we are and what our lives are composed of, along with hereditary predispositions, can move us toward physical and psychological health concerns. Sleep is disrupted, appetite, coping behaviors like substance use or screen time, fatigue, irritability, mood swings. We can gradually move down this path and into spaces like burnout, compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety, and so on. Now, this slippery slope of gradual compounding stressors and the associated mental health concerns I've just listed do not in themselves mean that someone will become suicidal. However, the risk for suicide increases exponentially when stressors are high, coping is low, and mental health concerns have become present. The risk further increases if we've had any previous experiences of suicidal ideation or actions, as well as if we know someone who has attempted or died by suicide. I share all of this with you because I'm often surprised by how often people don't know that this is what it looks like. I remember during the interview I had with retired RCMP Staff Sergeant Jen Pound back in the spring about her experience of suffering from burnout and mental health concerns as a result of her work with RCMP and while on the Integrated Homicide Investigation team. She shared in that episode that she didn't know what she should have been looking for, that no one told her. She talked about hearing things in her workplace about watching for burnout and that they should seek support for PTSD. But never really being told what this looks like, how it manifests, and then not getting help until things were so far off the rails because she simply didn't know. Didn't know the problems she was facing were about her mental health. Didn't know what kind of support to look for. Didn't know what to name it. Didn't know what to do with it. So she just kept going until she absolutely couldn't anymore. I hate that that's a common story. The story of not knowing that we hear a lot of the right buzzwords about breaking the stigma, getting help, seeking support, blah blah blah, but not being given clarity around what it looks like to need to do these things. We look around and it seems like everyone is struggling, so we assume this is just how it is and we keep on going. We silence ourselves, sometimes even from ourselves to keep putting one foot in front of the other and we can march ourselves right into that deep dark hole without a clear path out. So tired by the time we get there that we can't muster the strength to look for a path out. That is the helpless, hopeless place. I don't want that for you, for any of you. It's why we need to have these conversations need to confront the uncomfortable things in an effort to equip ourselves. I want you to be the person who does know, the person who saw the indicators and did something about it before it got so deep and dark. When I created the Beating the Breaking Point Indicator Checklist and Triage Guide, it was with this same idea in mind. I wanted to give something that empowered amazing, self-sacrificing professionals with the information that would help them catch burnout before it got so far down the rabbit hole. If you haven't checked out that tool yet, you can find it on our website homepage by searching behind the line Lindsay. Essentially today, we're gonna do the same thing specific to suicide risk rather than burnout, but there will be some amount of overlap. Also know that I will post a bunch of additional resources in the show notes if you wanna seek out additional information. All right, as we work to equip ourselves with knowing what to look for, we need to get really clear about the things that lead us into the dark hole. The thing about life is that it tends to keep on moving, which can be part of the problem we find ourselves faced with. We get caught in meeting the day-to-day challenges, along with the big and small stresses that show up along the way, in tandem with a career that is predictably unpredictable. The nature of life continually moving along is that we can get a bit dragged along for the ride, leading into some perpetual version of survival mode. We can be so caught up that we fail to notice the forest for the trees. We lose track of how we're doing, whether our lives feel in alignment with what we want or like or would hope for. These pressures and tendencies to feel stuck by the cumulative weight of life can happen for many in the work. This can be exacerbated by a hereditary predisposition to mental or physiological health concerns, as well as any amount of experiences throughout our lives of trauma or more severe stress. When we have overlap of these kinds of risk factors, it's gonna be important to have awareness of what we need to be looking for, our own personal indicators and risk factors that let us know that we're not doing so well, need support, or otherwise need to attend to what's happening. For example, if I know that I have family members who struggle with depression and anxiety, that I have a family member who has attempted suicide, and that I have had some early life exposure to stress, that I have my own history of struggling with low mood sometimes, and that on top of my work right now I'm also facing stress related to separation or financial concerns or something like that, The interaction of these multiple risk areas and stressors can quickly add up to feeling unable to cope. As these add up, we can grow increasingly helpless and hopeless, overwhelmed and out of control, disconnected and devalued. This is the place where risk becomes significant, particularly if we begin to pair this with planning or fantasizing about methods to end our lives beliefs that others in our lives would be better off without us, untreated acute mental health concerns, and access to lethal means. As these factors combine and layer on top of one another, the day-to-day life stuff can easily tip the scales and the exposure to suffering within the work can sit differently. We can start to see ourselves in the stories of those we work with or wish to trade places with those we're serving. Those can be some solid indicators that we're pretty deep in the hole. That leads us to how we recognize the hole we're in. As I mentioned earlier, a common story for those on the front lines is not knowing that what they were experiencing was mental health or occupational stress injury. Not knowing what to look for puts us at risk of getting way deeper before we identify what's happening or getting help. And finding it to be a much further way, we need to claw our way back out. Before we talk about what to look for, let me remind again that we need to make space and time to regularly and routinely check in with ourselves. Knowing this information is only useful if we have the ability to check in with it, compare ourselves against it, and evaluate where we're at. If we don't carve out space and time, life will continue to lure us into the survival mode tendency and to keep spiraling down without knowing why we're struggling. Some of the most commonly identified early indicators of stress, burnout, mental health concerns, and related occupational stress injuries that can lead towards suicide risk include sleep disturbances like difficulty falling asleep, difficulty staying asleep, and nightmares or panic waking, increased irritability or difficulty regulating emotions in the face of small or insignificant seeming stressors, feeling jittery or on edge much of the time, even when there's no specific reason, feeling somewhat disconnected or tuned out from things going on around you, struggling to feel relaxed or calm, struggling to feel connected to a sense of purpose or meaning, along with physiological markers such as headaches, muscle tension, gastrointestinal issues, appetite changes, and so on. As wellness becomes more compromised, these concerns will tend to get more severe, sometimes becoming interruptive to capacity to function, requiring days off work or sick leave to manage. We can start to notice feeling more helpless, less in control and experiencing less agency in being able to make change in our lives. We can feel hopeless that things will change or improve and can become fatalistic, having difficulty finding worth or value in aspects of our lives we once found meaningful or purposeful. We can begin to contemplate or fantasize about ways to escape feeling what we feel. This may lead into substance use or engaging in maladaptive behaviors in an effort to escape ourselves and our own experience. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, self-harm, gambling, shopping, or other kinds of self-destructive efforts a disconnecting from our lives, these are attempts at coping that should signal that things are not okay if these sound familiar to you and again you can reference against our beating the breaking point indicators checklist which i created as a burnout self-assessment tool i would encourage you to take some steps to work your way back out of the hole before it feels too deep here are several things you can do to help turn the tide and please do check out our show notes for additional resources first Treat yourself the way you would treat others that you care about. We tend to reduce the standards of care for ourselves compared to how we extend care to others. And this lends to the risk we can find ourselves in. If we can't value ourselves or show gestures of valuing to ourselves, we will have difficulty experiencing a sense of valuing in the world and from others. We are with ourselves the most and need to offer care and valuing to ourselves. Sometimes we don't know how or where to start with ourselves. So try thinking of what you would tend to do or offer to others and do pieces of that for yourself. This will include saying no to things, drawing limits to protect and preserve your energy. I read something recently that said, you are a precious and limited resource. And it's true. Part of valuing ourselves means doing things that care for us both by inputting things that bolster our internal resources, as well as limiting external things that cost us resources. This may include drawing limits at work, like how much overtime I take on, or switching to a different line to remove myself from toxic dynamics or environments. For many, treating ourselves well when we're in the dark hole can feel impossibly hard, in part because we know how far we need to go to get back out, and it feels overwhelming to try. If this is the case, focus on small steps and allow permission for a gradual building of these pieces. Things like going to bed 20 minutes earlier or eating one piece of fruit or doing five minutes of light stretching can be starting points that become the rungs on the ladder out of the hole. Next, receive what others give. When we're in the hole, it can feel hard to see or hear the efforts others make to reach in towards us. We can be resistant to their care or receive it as pity. We can complicate what it is. Try to let what others offer stand as what it looks like on face value, the same way you would want others to receive from you if they were struggling. Try to allow people in your life to offer and support where they can and in the ways that they feel able. Third, ask for specific support. While others might offer and try to enter into our hard spaces, they don't always nail it. Sometimes what they have to offer isn't what we need. Not because they don't want to offer what we need, but because it's not what they naturally think of to give. They're not mind readers. Sometimes they may not know how to give in certain ways. Other times, they just don't think of it on their own being clear with others about what's happening for us and what we would find helpful can set them up for success in meeting those needs effectively, which then sets us up for success in getting those needs met. Here's a quick example. My mom, who I adore, is an advice giver. What she offers naturally is creative brainstorming solutions to problems, and often I love that. Meanwhile, What I sometimes need is someone to listen and not tell me how to fix it. She can do this, she just needs to be reminded to put her fixer tendency to the side and focus on listening. When I preempt conversations with this and let her know that that's my need, we both walk away feeling better. She feels like she met my need and I feel like I had my need met. It's so much better than when I fail to clarify my need and she engages in fixing to which I respond with either defensiveness or shutting down, to which she feels uncertain what went wrong, and I feel unheard, devalued, and frustrated that my need wasn't met. Lose-lose. One of the barriers I often hear to asking for support from people in our lives is the idea of not wanting to be a burden to those we care about. Here's the thing about that. If not getting support results in suicide, I promise you that the burden of guilt and confusion and regret felt by those left behind is far greater and far more deeply and negatively impactful for their lives on an ongoing basis than whatever burden might exist in them supporting you to remain on this earth. Please don't delude yourself into believing that you are somehow saving them from pain or discomfort by not asking them for help. This ends up inviting a level of pain for them that is in its own right hard to live with. People who care about you want to help. They want to be a part of your life, good, bad, and otherwise. Know that this idea of being a burden is crap and it just doesn't hold water. Fourth, ask for professional help. I know, I know, counselor is telling you to get counseling or something like that. If you broke your leg, you wouldn't expect your neighbor to fix it, would you? You'd go to the hospital and seek out the right people to do the job. The same needs to be true with our psychological wellness. Whether you connect with your GP, your health and wellness people at work or within your union, your workplace employee assistance provider, or with a counselor or psychologist in your community, get support from the people who do this. We have invested in making our life's work, caring for people exactly like you, and we can offer more than your neighbor. Now, I know that some have had less than satisfying experiences seeking professional support. And if that's a barrier for you in getting help, know that we are going to talk about this exact topic in our upcoming series. As we wrap up this series on suicide prevention, for those doing the hard work of caring for our communities on the front lines, we're bridging into a new series where we're covering what therapy is all about, what to look for in a therapist, how to navigate barriers to getting support, and so much more. I have had so many clients come to me after bad experiences with seeking support, and I wanna equip you to feel capable of finding someone who can be a solid fit for your needs and walk the bumpy road of life alongside you. I hope you'll join me as we jump into that series next week, and I hope you'll encourage others in your life to take a listen as well. Last but not least, as we work to find our way out of the hole, Desperate times can call for desperate measures. If you're feeling unsafe, if you are so deep in the dark hole that you can't see a way out, please know that there are people who wanna help you find the ladder. We have resources like Crisis Lines for a reason. It's because our culture values life. We collectively acknowledge and believe in the sanctity of life and that each life holds value. You have value not because of what you do or who you're connected to, just because you're you and you exist in this world. If you are in a deep, dark hole and actively considering suicide or feeling unsafe, please reach out to your local crisis line or to other crisis services, including your GP or local hospital. I know that this can feel hard and scary to do, but I promise that this world needs you. We need you. Before we wrap up this series, I want to take a moment to say thank you. I know that this series has not been an easy listen. I know it sparked discomfort and ignited some hard conversations within workplaces about how we're missing the mark in caring for one another well. I am incredibly proud of so many of you who are working to be ambassadors for change within your workplaces. Those who are demanding more and working to develop practical applications based on these ideas and conversations. I love the work you are doing out there and I am beyond honored to be a small piece in the story of building better workplaces that care better for our community caregivers and helpers. We're going to wrap up this series, but I can guarantee we'll be coming back to some of these topics. If there are pieces you'd like to hear more about, please reach out and let me know. I love getting your feedback and shaping this podcast to echo the voices of those it's meant to serve. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram, at lindsayafoss, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. Do check out our show notes for this series. I've posted additional resources, recommended books, and other bits and pieces throughout the series, and today's episode is no different. Join me again next week as we dive into our series on the nitty-gritty of therapy, and please share this resource with your workplace and those you know on the front lines. Until next time. Stay safe.